Well, good morning, everybody. I got a Southside hard hat here, which is awesome. Um, everybody, you get your own Southside hard hat if you come tonight. No, you don't, actually. Dave would have killed me if I would have said that, but I, I just did say that. But um, uh, two things about tonight. One, uh, just make it out if you can. It's going to be so fun. And, and secondly, Leah talked about the fact that there is no child care. That's true, but obviously your kids are more than welcome. So it's going to be good. I, I've been thinking a lot lately about the fact that there's a why behind every what. You know what I mean? There, there, there's a why behind every what that we do. There's a why behind every what in our lives. So why are we here? Like, what's the why behind this what? And, and, and I think if I was to put it really kind of simply, I would just say we're here because we can't do life alone. We can't do life alone. And, and I said we, and, and that's important to point out because uh, if you're here today for the first time or you're walking to church for the first time in a long time, you might have along the way run into some religious people. I call religious people wall builders. They love to build walls between people. They love to build walls between people and God. And maybe they've told you or they've led you to believe in some way that there's kind of two kinds of people. There's like good people and bad people. There's moral people and immoral people. There's well-behaved people and poorly behaved people. There's churchy people and not churchy people. But they're actually wrong. There's just one kind of people. There's just people people. We're all just kind of people people. And we, we can't do life alone. And when I think about that, I, I, I kind of think about two things. Number one, we, we, we need God. I would hold this truth to be self-evident, that I have a body, but I'm a lot deeper than a body. You have a body, you're a lot deeper than a body. We, we have a mind, but we, we go a lot deeper than, a, than our mind. Like, we are a soul. And I really believe that kind of life is lived from the soul. The, the, the life kind of happens from the inside out, and, and we need God because it's God who created our soul. It's God who speaks to our soul. And so when we come here and we celebrate God, when we recognize God, when we, when we, uh, when we hear from God, when we, when, when, when we seek God, what I think happens is we, we slowly but surely, we, we become renewed. There, there's a peace that starts on the inside and it gets out. There's a strength that starts on the inside and it gets out. There's a joy, there's a, there's a hope. There's this old song that used to sing around campfires that said, I got a river of life flowing out of me. There's a life that starts on the inside at the soul level of who we are, and, and next thing you know, it, it, it plays in and through our lives. We can't do life alone. We need God and we need each other. There's this word encourage, encourage. It's just so profound to me, the word encourage. Encourage means uh, to breathe courage into someone else, to, 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 to infuse them with courage. Man, is that important, because we live in a world that seems to uh, be dead set on discouragement, robbing us of our courage. And I think to live the life that we were created to live, we need courage. We need to be encouraged. I, I, I talk about it a lot. I say, like, I don't want to be a big church. It's so sad as a small church with lots of people. Because when I think about the concept of a big church, I think about the concept of disconnection. I think about the concept of people being overlooked and forgotten. And I don't think that's okay. So I, I think we need to be connected. I think we need to be encouraged. And I get it, you know, like I, I might not get to know, I will not get to know everybody that goes here, but everyone who, 
who calls Southside Church their home needs somebody, needs to know somebody's, you know? Because we can't do life alone. If you're here for the first time or you walked into church today for the first time in a long time, man, I would challenge you to do something really, really courageous. And that would be, um, do what Leah said earlier, text hello to 604-670-3040. Let's get connected. We all need somebody. We all need somebody's in our life. Maybe even take it a step further. On your way out today, there's a next step center that you'll see on your way out. Why don't you stop by there and sign up for a small group? Why don't you get connected? Why don't, why don't you sign up to, to be a part of a serving team? Why, why, why don't you make a commitment that in this next season of your life, you are going to know and you are going to be known. You are going to understand and you are going to be understood. You are going to love and you are going to be loved. We can't do life alone. So this series unraveling that we're in, it starts with a story. There was this time that Jesus walked into a little town called Bethany, two miles outside of Jerusalem. And as Jesus walks in, he's got a really good friend named Lazarus who is dead. In fact, Lazarus has been dead and buried for four days by the time that Jesus arrives. And I think it would be fair to say that Lazarus is about to have an encounter with Jesus. And Lazarus goes from dead and buried to alive and well. Jesus says to the people who are gathered, roll the stone away. Lazarus, come on out. And, and, and he does. And then Jesus looks at Lazarus and he says to the people around, uh, take off his grave clothes, unravel those linen strips that are holding him back. And I was thinking, I've been praying for, for the months that I've been planning this series. I've been praying for you and I've been praying for me. What if we could have an encounter with Jesus? And, and, and what if we could ask if uh, God would begin to unravel everything that would hold us back from being fully, completely, and totally alive, which means, by the way, being fully, completely, and totally ourselves, the, the, the we that we were born to be. Like, what if we were to ask him to unravel all the frustration, all the condemnation, all the garbage, all the lies, all the labels, everything that would get in the way of us being fully, completely, and totally alive as we move to be, towards being fully, completely, and totally ourselves? And so last week we were talking about the fact that when Jesus walked into Bethany, he saw Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, and, and, and also a crowd of mourners gathering around. And he looked around and he saw the tears and he saw the despair and he saw the darkness and he saw the brokenness and he wept. He, he, he wept uh, not because he was sad or nostalgic. He wept because he was angry. He, he was angry at darkness. He was angry at despair. He was angry at death. He was angry at mourning. And today we continue the story. In John chapter 11, verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. I kind of like the King James Version of this verse. It says, uh, but Lord, by this time he stinketh. I like that. It kind of just is catchy. By this time, he stinketh. And, and, and I think it's really important to note that Jesus says, no, 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 no. no go, you, know, you roll the stone away anyways. Because he's not scared of the stinketh. And may, maybe I'm here today to, to, to tell somebody, to tell somebody's that God's not scared of your stinketh either. He's not scared of your stink. Like Jesus left the perfection of heaven and he stepped into human history. 
And so when he walked into history, he walked into life on this planet, which means all the beauty and all the joy and all the love and all the hope, but it also means all the ugly, all the broken, all the darkness, all the despair too. But he wasn't scared of the stink. He stepped into the stink for you and for me. There's this passage in, in, in the New Testament of the Bible in Hebrews chapter 12. It talks about everything that Jesus endured, that he, he was betrayed and he was arrested. He was, <clears throat> he was beaten and he was mocked. He was nailed to a cross where he suffered and died and then he rose again. He died and rose again. Why? For it, it, Hebrews 12 says, for the joy that was set before him. That's you. That's who you are. You're the joy that was set before him. I don't know why. I just God, I, I, Maybe you should know this. God has your picture in his wallet. You're the joy that was set before him. You're what kept him going. It's amazing when you think about it that if you, were, if you were the only one in human history that needed to be saved, he would have stepped into the stink for you. I had a couple people over the last month or so come to me. Man, like when you talk about the fact that Jesus would have done everything he did, even if I was the only one to be saved, could you give me a verse out of the Bible that really backs that up? And I say to them, well, the, the, the whole Bible would be a good start for that. But if, but if you want some homework to do to really drive that point home, that if you were the only one in history who needed to be saved, who needed to be forgiven, who needed to be rescued, God would have done it all for you. Here's one, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15. Three stories. The story of the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost son. I mention all this because I know if you're anything like me, there's been times in my life when I can sit in a room and I can hear a preacher stand up and say, God wants you to be fully, completely, and totally alive. He wants you to move towards being fully, completely, totally yourself. And on one level, you think that's kind of cool, but you also think it applies to everybody else but not you. That God might love everybody else in here, but not you. That God might have a plan for everybody else in here, but not you. That God could forgive everybody else, else in here, but not you. It's not true. He's not scared of your stink. He stepped into it for you. I've been thinking lately that there's some people, you're, you're, you're still wearing labels for stuff that you did like 10 years ago. 15 years ago two years ago. And, and I got just a real simple question to ask you. Um, would you do that, like that, that thing that you've been feeling guilty about, that thing that you've been condemning yourself over, would you do it today? No. So you know what you're doing. You're condemning. You're imprisoning an innocent person. And I would even go a step further. You say, well, Micah, like even this morning, like whatever you're going through today, right now, whatever you're feeling today, right now, what, whatever is going through your mind right now, Jesus isn't scared of your stink. You're the joy set before him. Jesus said, I, I came to seek and save that which is lost. He also said that it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. So can I tell you something? If he won't heal you, he won't heal anyone. If he won't forgive you, he won't forgive me. 
If he won't save you, he won't save anyone. You're the joy set before him. There's this author who I really like named Donald Miller. He wrote a story um, that I think kind of expresses what, what it was for Jesus to step into our stink. It says this, A team of Navy SEALs were performing a covert operation to free some American hostages in the Middle East. They flew in by helicopter and they made their way to the compound and stormed into the room where the hostages had been in prison for months. The room was filthy and dark. The hostages were curled up in a corner, terrified. When the seals entered the room, they heard the gasps of the hostages. They stood at the door and called to the prisoners, telling them that they were Americans. The seals asked the hostages to please follow them, but the hostages wouldn't. They sat there on the floor and they hid their eyes in fear. They were not of healthy mind and they didn't believe that their rescuers could really be Americans. The seals stood there, not knowing what to do. They, they couldn't possibly carry everybody out. And then one of the seals got an idea. He put down his weapon. He took off his helmet, and he curled up tightly next to the other hostages. Getting so close that his body was touching some of theirs, he softened the look on his face, and he put his arms around them. He was trying to show them that he was one of them. None of the prison guards would have ever done this. He stayed there for a little while until some of the hostages started to look at him, finally meeting his eyes. The Navy SEAL whispered that they were Americans and that they were there to rescue them. Will you follow us, he asked. The hero stood to his feet and then finally one of the hostages did the same, and then another, until all of them were willing to go. The story ends with all the hostages safe on an American aircraft carrier. See, I think for some of us, we see God as the big scorekeeper in the sky. The big cosmic killjoy just waiting for us to make a mistake, and I don't know why, but as I was preparing for today, I thought of this old game called Operation. You, ever, you guys ever play Operation? Okay. I was disappointed because it wasn't nearly as loud as I remember it to be, but, but I think sometimes we, we see living life with God kind of like playing Operation, you know? And so I know this is a bit of a stretch. You're looking at me like I'm crazy, and you're right, but here it is anyways. Um, so, you, like, you, you, you walked to, into the wrong place, let's say. Boom! God's just waiting, man. Like, boom, you're done. Game over. You lose. Okay, I know, I told you it was a stretch, but I'm having fun, so here we are. You're, you're here, and they've locked the doors. So, okay, so, uh, you know, your, your heart's not in the right place. Boom, you lose, game over, right? Like, you're not thinking the right thoughts. Like, God's some, some scorekeeper in the sky, but I wonder, I wonder, I wonder what would happen in our lives if we all of a sudden started to see God's plan for us more like these Navy SEALs. Because here's what's amazing to me. Do, do you see it? Like we, We've been spending weeks talking about the story of Lazarus. And I guess for me, here's what I need you to know. You are him. It's your story. It's my story. Jesus said, roll the stone away for Lazarus. Jesus says, roll the stone away for you. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loves you. 
Jesus wasn't scared of Lazarus' stink. He's not scared of yours. Jesus saved Lazarus. Jesus saves you. He's not scared of the stink. He stepped into it to bring you out of it. The stink comes from sin. Comes from sin. You know, sin is pretty easily defined. Defined sin would be uh, anything that moves me away from the plans and the power and the person of God. You know, I explained it a little bit last week, but think about, think about this. Um, God is love. I, I didn't say God is loving. I said God is love. So what happens when you move away from God? You, you move into hate. Or how about this? God is light. I didn't say God is enlightened. I said God is light. So what happens when you move away from light? You move into darkness. God is peace. I didn't say God is peaceful. I said God is peace. So what happens when you walk away from peace? You walk into chaos. God, God is strength. I didn't say he's strong. I said he's strength. You walk away from strength, you wa- walk into weakness. God is courage. I didn't say he's courageous. I said he's courage. You, you walk away from courage, you walk into fear. Right? God is li- I didn't say God is lively. <laughs> I, don't, I find that word kind of funny. Like, but, but, but anyway, God, I didn't say God is lively. I said God is life. You move away from life, you move into death. Okay. Desperation. And I heard people say the other day, and I, I've heard it a lot actually, they say, no one ever had to teach you to sin. <laughs> it's probably true. You know, no one, no one ever had to teach me to sin. Yeah, you know, if you want an illustration, the one that people always use is like, let's take a field trip right now. We'll, we'll all get up and we'll go over to the Southside Kids three-year-old classroom. You know, and we'll hand them a bunch of toys and walk out and let Lord of the Flies play out, right? And eventually, before too long, your kid will whack another kid over the head with a toy and yell this word, mine. No one ever, no, no one ever had to teach you. Now, that doesn't actually happen at Southside Kids. I should probably say that. Um, they're angels. Um... No one ever had to teach you to sin. So here's where we mess it up. Here's where we get it twisted, in my opinion. So we start to think, my identity is sinner. No, it's not. Well, that's my natural state. No, it's not. You were born with a hereditary spiritual sickness called sin. It's not who you are. So you want to go back to the very beginning to Adam and Eve, and Adam and Eve at one choice chose to walk away from God. And so now there's this spiritual sickness that's been passed down to you, and sometimes we fool ourselves and we think, that's just who I am because no one ever taught me to sin, but it's not true. It's a sickness. I don't know if I ever told you this story. Last year, I went out to watch my son Lucas play at the national championships in Halifax. Have I ever told that story? No more than a dozen or two dozen times, right? Okay, so, so, so Lucas won, and so I brag about it sometimes. And I, what I haven't told you much is that I went back this year to watch him play again, but I haven't told the story as much because they lost in the national championship game. Okay, so I haven't told that story as much, but, but, but I will tell you this. Man, was I sick. Oh, like uh, I had a flight leaving from Abbotsford at 6 o'clock in the morning. And about halfway down the road, I was there with uh, my son Gabe and, and his buddy uh, Gibson, and we were driving to Abbotsford, and I started feeling sick. 
by the time the plane had gone halfway to Calgary, I was like super, I was that loser on the plane that won't stop coughing. You're like, what's that idiot doing on the plane? That was me, okay? So I was coughing, so sick. Get to Halifax, Gabe said I spent the entire trip like a pale shade of green. Just, I would, I would, I would like lay in the hotel room all day, then go watch the game, then go back to the hotel room. We flew back home. I was still the idiot on the plane that wouldn't stop coughing, okay? Got home and I was still sick. And I started to get this notion in my head. I started having this belief, oh man, like this is just who I am. This is the new normal. But that's ridiculous, right? Because like in day three, I woke up and I felt better. I I need you to know that um, you were created in the image of God. You were created to be great. Your spouse needs you to be great. Your kids need you to be great. You were born to be great. And yet, you have this hereditary spiritual sickness called sin. You need to be saved. You need to be healed. And I'm not just talking about people, oh, you know, your first time here in church. No, I mean all of us. Salvation is a one-time thing, but renewal is a lifelong thing. Because I want you to think about something. Um, Mine! You know, no one ever has to, 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 to teach you to be selfish. So here's the question. Would you be more fully, completely, and totally alive and fully, completely, totally yourself if you were selfless or selfish? Selfless, right? And yet there's something inside of you that gravitates towards being selfish. What is that? Oh, that's a spiritual sickness called sin. You need to be saved. You need to be healed. You need to be renewed. Um, would you be... M- most fully, completely, and totally alive, fully, completely, totally yourself, if you were kind or if you were mean? Kind. Be kind. Everyone's fighting a great battle, but you're mean sometimes. You know? When you get frustrated, you take it out on other people. Like when I'm doing a home handyman project, once every seven or eight years, okay, I I, I get angry and I look for someone close to me to take it out on. You say, well, Mike, I never do that. Because you're passive-aggressive. So you pout. Okay, so you, you, you pout instead of shouting. So you're a pouter, not a shouter. Good for you. You still take it out on other people. You're mean. No one ever had to teach you to be mean. You need to be saved. You need to be healed. You need to be renewed. Would you be more fully, completely, and totally alive, fully, completely, totally yourself if you're patient or impatient? Patient. These aren't really trick questions. Um. But something inside of you, man, like, you gravitate towards impatience. Like, remember this week? You were in Starbucks, and there was only one person in front of you, and the person in front of you decided that they were going to have a conversation with the Starbucks employee. Maybe the person in front of you goes to Southside, and they realize that that person isn't there for them, that they're there for the person. And anyways, they started talking and asking them about their life, and isn't that beautiful? And all that you could think is, is, please shut up. Just shut up, man. I got places to go, and I got people to see. Shut up so I can get my coffee. And your blood pressure went up, and your stress level. Why? Oh, you need to be saved. You need to be healed, and you need to be renewed. Are we more fully, completely, and totally alive when we're generous or when we're tight-fisted? Generous. But something inside of me gravitates towards tight-fisted. Why? Oh, I need to be saved. I got this spiritual sickness called sin. It's not who I am, but I need to be healed. I need to be renewed. You know, am I more 
fully, completely, and totally myself when I'm uh, self-controlled or out of control? Self-controlled. You know, no one looks back and says, man, that one time when I said that thing without thinking at all, it, it went so well. You know, the things I do without thinking, no filter at all, always works out awesome for me. Uh, no, but yet there's something inside of me that gravitates towards out of control. Why? Oh, you just need to be saved. You need to be renewed. You need to be healed. And what's amazing is I don't just see it play out inside of me. I, I, I see it in our culture. It's amazing. Our culture needs to be saved. <laughs> like, I, I want you to think about some things that, that we do in our culture that are just, just crazy to me. So here's one. Uh, we all know, we all know this, that money does not buy happiness. We know that to be true. That, that, that the studies all show that after a certain level of subsistence, no matter how much you have, it does not determine your level of happiness. And you know that because you can look back at a time in your life when you have had way less than you have now and you were happier. Or a time in your life when you had way more than you have now but you were way less happy. We know this to be true. And yet as a culture, we live as if it was. We need to be saved. <laughs> like, um, we all know we got to slow down. Like, we're the most affluent culture in history and also the most anxious. We have the most ma material things, but we're also the most medicated culture of all time. We need to slow down. We all know this, and yet every single year, you know what happens? Pace of life picks up. Why? We need to be saved. We need to be healed. We need to be renewed. Like I, I can stand up here and, and give you a quote from Martin Luther King Jr., which you will all agree with, that hate can't drive out hate. Only love can do that. I think almost everyone in our culture would agree with that. And yet we live in the most hateful culture that I've ever seen. Social media isn't a real happy, camper, lovey-dovey place. Like, you voted different than me. I hate you! Sorry I startled you there. It's good to wake people up every once in a while. But, you know, but you look different than me. I hate you! You believe different than me. I hate you! You act different. I hate you! But we all know that hate can't drive out hate. So what's going on? Oh, we need to be saved. I know, like, we've tried, right? We've tried as a culture. We've tried as a world. Like, we can, we, can do this or, we can do this ourselves. We can do it. There's this guy named Steve Turner that wrote this, uh, this poem a while ago, and I thought it kind of pertained. It says, we believe in Marx, Freud, and Darwin. We believe, it, we believe that everything is okay. As long as you don't hurt anyone, to the best of your definition of hurt, and to the best of your definition of knowledge. We believe in sex before, during, and after marriage. We believe in the therapy of sin. We believe that adultery is fun, we believe that taboos are taboo. We believe that everything's getting better, despite evidence to the contrary. The evidence must be investigated, and you can prove anything with evidence. We believe there's something in horoscopes, UFOs, and bent spoons. Jesus was a good man, just like Buddha, Muhammad, and ourselves. He was a good moral teacher, teacher, although we think some of his good morals were bad. We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the ones that we read were. 
They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that, a- we believe that after death comes the nothing. Because when you ask the dead what happens, they say, nothing. If death is not the end, if the dead have lied, then it's compulsory heaven for all. Except, of course, Hitler, Stalin, and Genghis Khan. We believe in Masters and Johnson. What's selected is average, what's average is normal, and what's normal is good. We believe in total disarmament because we believe that there are direct links between warfare and bloodshed. That's funny. Uh, um, Americans should beat their guns into tractors and the Russians would be sure to follow. We believe that man is essentially good. It's only his behavior that lets him down. This is the fault of society. Society is the fault of conditions and conditions are the fault of society. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe that there is no absolute truth excepting for the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds and the flowering of individual thought. And then he wrote this postscript. If chance is the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear, state of emergency, sniper kills 10, troops on rampage, youths go looting, bomb blasts school, it is about the sound of man worshiping his maker. I think it was the Apostle Paul who wrote in Romans 7, The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do. What's going on? There's this hereditary spiritual sickness called sin. Need to be saved. Need to be healed. We need to be renewed. It it, it plays out individually. It plays out in our families. It plays out in our culture. You know, it, it even plays out historically. i got one more thing I want to read. This was written by a journalist named Malcolm Muggeridge. He's British. He says this, we look back on history and what do we see? That's just amazing. Empires rising and falling, revolutionary, revolutions and counter-revolutions, wealth accumulating and wealth dispersed. One nation dominant and then another. Shakespeare speaks of this as the rise and fall of the great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. In one lifetime, in one lifetime, I have seen my own fellow countrymen, again, he's British, ruling over a quarter of the world. The great majority of them convinced, in the words of what is still a favorite song, that God who's made them mighty would make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian named Hitler proclaim to the world the establishment of a German Reich that would last a thousand years. I've seen an Italian clown named Mussolini announce that he would restart the calendar to begin his own assumption of power. I've heard a murderous Georgian brigand named Stalin in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elites of the world as wiser than Solomon and more humane than Marcus Aurelius. I've seen America wealthier and in terms of weaponry more powerful than the rest of the world put together. So that Americans, had they so wished, could have outdone an Alexander or a Julius Caesar in the range and scale of their conquest. All in one little lifetime. All gone with the wind. England, part of a tiny island off the coast of Europe, threatened with dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead, 
remembered only in infamy. Stalin, a forbidden name in the regime he helped found and dominate for some three decades. America haunted by fears of running out of the precious fluids that keep her motorways roaring and the smog settling with troubled memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam and the victories of the Don Quixote's of the media as they charged the windmills of Watergate. Now listen to this. All in one lifetime. All gone with the wind. All of it. But behind the debris of these self-styled, sullen supermen and imperial diplomats, there's still there still stands the gigantic figure of one person because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom alone mankind might still have hope. The person of Jesus Christ. See, I think I came to this conclusion years ago that there's really only one way for history to change. There's really only one way for a family to change. There's really only one way for a culture to change. And that's one life, one story at a time. I remember when I was 12 years old, our family drove out here from, uh, from Red Deer, Alberta, and we stayed at my nanny and grandpa's farm near Yarrow. Just a few weeks from turning 13. And I just remember my, my, my uncle Nick invited my dad out to hear a preacher in Abbotsford called Rabbi Zacharias. And Jesus saved my dad that night. And I, I remember the next morning, my dad walked into the room where my little sister and I were, were, were staying, and he said, uh, Jesus saved me last night. And I remember thinking, not much, like, wow, hmm, I'm 12, okay, like, you know. And, but then he said three things. He said, um, uh, you're never going to see me smoke again. And I know it doesn't always work this way, but he never smoked again. He said, you're never going to see me drink again. And I know it doesn't always work this way, but for him, he never drank again. And then he said this. He said, and, and here's what I need you to know, that in our family, you're going to see a lot more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness. And would you believe it? I saw more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness in our family. That's how history changes. That's how my history changed. If that moment doesn't happen, I'm not here right now. Because like years and years later, I was doing my thing and I was trying to do it my way and I, and, and I reached this point where I was at the end of, my, end of myself and I needed to be saved. I didn't know where to turn, but I thought to myself, I saw what Jesus did for my dad. Maybe he can do the same for me. So we spend this series, right, and we talk all about Lazarus. You are Lazarus. I am Lazarus. Jesus loves you. Jesus came to renew you and to heal you. And just like he said 
to the people gathered that day, hey, roll the stone away. I'm not scared of the stink. That's what he says to you. Now, and now, I guess for me, I would say the next step is yours. The next step is mine. The stone is rolled away, and he calls us out to step into life like live. saved. We need to be healed. We need to be renewed. So I just want to ask if we could just take a moment of reflection, if you don't mind bowing your heads and closing your eyes. See, I believe that there's people that you stepped into church today, and it's no accident, because you've never accepted the offer that Jesus gave, like, hey, step on out, live, live. Abundant life starts right now, a fresh start. Forgiveness for our sins, hope for tomorrow, and the promise of eternity. If, if you've never accepted that gift from Jesus, man, I want to give you the chance to do that right now. So with all heads bowed and all eyes closed, can you just raise your hand because I'm going to pray for you right now. Nice and high if you don't mind. Awesome. Anybody else? That's great. That's great. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray out loud, and I just ask that if you just raise your hand, could you just pray quietly with me? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you're not scared of our stink. Thank you that we are, that I am the joy set before you. So today, Jesus, I come to you, and I ask you to be my Savior. Please give me a fresh start. I hand you the lies and the labels I don't want to carry them anymore. And today, Jesus, I ask you to be my Lord. Just lead me one next step at a time into the life that you created me to live, the person that you've created me to be. Thank you that you died so I can live. I'm grateful and I love you in your name. Amen. Let's celebrate, church. Um, If you can possibly make it out, you should try very hard to make it out. Six o'clock tonight. We are going to party. It is going to be awesome. Right? God bless you guys. See you next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you at any of our three Sunday services held at Sardis Secondary School on Stevenson Road in Chilliwack, British Columbia. For more information, please visit southsidelife.com.